All right, well, let's get to it. Um, so tell me what book of the Bible we've been studying on Sundays, or weekends. This isn't Sunday, sorry. Acts, yeah, exactly. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Steve taught through the first section of chapter 5, which was about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, we all kind of remember that probably if we were here. Um, but it, it's the story, real quickly, of Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, who uh, very early on in the life of the church, after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven, they, they were part of the church. They sold some land, and Ananias came to the church leaders, the apostles, and said, here's the money I got from the sale of the land. Here it is, all of it, and we want to support the church and its people. Well, he, uh, he lied, and he had kept back some of the money. He had told his wife she was in on it with him, and so uh, he was talking to Peter, and Peter says, well, you haven't lied to men. You've lied to God, the Holy Spirit, right? And what happened after that? What happened to him? He dropped over dead. Yeah, somebody said that. And then three hours later, his wife walks in and she says, oh, how about that money we, we gave you? And what happened to her? She dropped over dead too. So they both lied. And uh, the result, the result of those lies and the result of God taking their lives so quickly is mentioned twice in Acts chapter 5. It's in verse 5 and 11. I'm going to read verse 11. It says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So the result of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, the result was great fear in the church, the people who were believers, and people who weren't believers, everyone else who heard. So imagine the people who were in the church and who saw this. They see Ananias walk in and they see what's going on. There's probably other people, you know, giving some money to the apostles saying, you know, here, here, we want to give this to the church and to the people. And they see Ananias say something, and they hear Peter say something about lying to God, and then bam, he falls over. And I bet the people were sitting there like you are, maybe like, did you see that? Then three hours later, maybe the same people are standing around, you know, they've had lunch, and his wife comes in, same thing, boom, drops over dead. And I bet, they're, again, they're like, that, his wife, same thing? And then imagine the next day. Those people go to work, they go to school, and those people say, hey, so what'd you do this weekend? I've been to some grad parties, I saw you a few. They're like, yeah, we had some church stuff going on. And they're like, oh, church, what, what do you do at church? How is church? Should we tell them? Should we, should we, you know, I mean, what, what were they saying? And they decided, sure, we'll, we'll go ahead and tell them. You know, great outreach strategy. Well, uh, some people lied about the money they gave to the church, so God dropped them over dead. So I know it's kind of, it's, it's slightly humorous, slightly kind of crazy. And we, regardless of what the people thought inside and outside the church, it says that, and we're told that great fear came upon those people. Great fear came upon them, the people in the church and people who weren't part of the church. And the fear which came upon them, the rest of Scripture would call the fear of the Lord. And Pastor Steve talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. But I thought it'd be good for us to talk a little bit more about it since it's all throughout Scripture. Uh, we probably won't even uh, crack the ice today, but... 
but we're going to give it a try. So pull out your sermon notes if you haven't done that already. You'll see a bunch of lines, blank lines, and some headings, and I'll try to stick to those headings. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go through a bunch of verses. And what I want you to do is just jot down the, the references and maybe a thought or two, and maybe throughout the week if you want to look back and you know, figure out what some of those verses you jotted down said. Um, go right ahead. I think that'd be, that'd be good for us all to do. So you probably won't catch every single thing. But jot down the, the, the references. So we're going to start with what King David said in Psalm 34:11. He says this, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So I, I think that God knows that we need to be taught some things. And we know we don't know everything, right? And I think King David knew that as well. And so I think God knows that, that fearing him, and I think David knew and experienced that fearing God was not just something we experienced. It is something we experienced, but it's something that we have to be taught. So David says, come and I'll teach you. And so I imagine, I kind of imagine this is what this weekend is. We're, we're kind of being taught. I've been taught over the last week what the fear of the Lord is. Um, and it's way more than I, I could have ever imagined. So when we're taught something, we kind of start with maybe a definition. So Pastor Steve, a couple weeks ago, said this. He said that the fear of the Lord is when we stand in awe of God. So great fear came upon the church and all those who heard about Ananias and Sapphira. They, they, they stood in awe of God. And when we fear God, we stand in awe of him. We stand in awe of him. And, and sometimes we, we might stand in awe because we're, we're scared. Sometimes we might stand in awe because something is so great that we can't even comprehend it. Okay, and if we, we, we stand in awe of God and maybe we want to tell somebody and we text them, we'll send like the craziest emoji face ever. If you don't know what that is, ask a teenager in the row next to you or whatever. But we just, we stand in awe of him like speechless. And that definition comes from the book of Psalm chapter 33. Starting in verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Now here it is in verse 8. Let, the whole, or let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So this is David writing saying, he wants the whole world to stand in awe of God. Is that something that you want? It's something I want. But let the whole earth, let all the earth fear the Lord, and all of its inhabitants stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So this, this chapter of Psalms, among other things, says that we fear God because he can speak things into being, and we can't do that. If I did that right now and, and said, dog, appear, and it did, you'd be in awe of me. <laughs> I would be in awe of myself. But we can't do that. That's something only God can do. And, and it says that, that he is a God who loves righteousness and justice, and he can take all of the oceans, all the water of the earth, and store them up wherever he wants. 
That's something we can't do. We stand in awe of God because he does so much that we, we can't even begin to think about doing ourselves. He doesn't want us to think of him. Some people think of him as this, you know, friendly grandpa in the sky or the big guy upstairs. But he is a great and powerful God that we can't even begin to compare to. And when we realize that, that causes us to fear him. When we realize that he can just speak something into existence, it causes us to fear him. Later on in that chapter, in verse 18 and 19, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those, whose hope, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So God's eye, he's looking at, and he's looking for those who fear him. Those people who know that he can deliver their soul from death. And we know Romans says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He delivers our soul from death through Jesus Christ. That's another thing that we can't do on our own. We can't deliver our own soul from death. That's a huge difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion says, I can, I can save my own soul from death. But Christianity says, you can't. Jesus says, you can't. I can do that for you. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So another way of thinking about the fear and the awe of God kind of hit me a couple days ago watching the first game of the NBA Finals. So uh, I'm sitting there, my son Ben loves basketball, loves to watch basketball, and you know the game had to start at 9 o'clock at night and go till, I don't know, 11.30, midnight. And so we're sitting there watching it, and, and you know what we do is when LeBron James, you know, dunks on somebody and makes some nasty face, you know, we jump out of the, our seats, or we hit the guy next to us, and we're like, did you see that? Or, you know, if we're watching on the other team, Steph Curry's dribbling through his legs like no one else can, and then jumps back and shoots a three that no one else could ever make. We, we jump out of our couch and we hit each other, right? Did you see that? We grab the remote and rewind it, or we know. And I, I said this to my son. I said, just hold on because at the commercial break, they're going to show a different angle of LeBron James's face when he dunked on that guy, and he looks really mean. So, so what are we doing when we do that? We jump out of our seat and stand up in awe, right, of what those guys can do on the court. Now, imagine what can happen, or what would happen, if we were expected to play one-on-one against LeBron James, or have a three-point shootout with Steph Curry. Most of the guys in here are like, I got it. <laughs> I, got, I could do that, okay? But, but then, what if we were actually really on the court? Hayden, come here. Come here. Uh, you've always wanted to jump up here. So, if, if we were to play one-on-one with LeBron and we were this guy, and I was LeBron, and you'd be like looking up at me in fear, okay? And you know that if LeBron James was going to drive on you, you, what would you do? <laughs> move out of the way, okay? You would move out of the way and let him. Okay, you can go sit down. Or, or if you were going to have that three-point shootout with Steph Curry, he'd just smile at you like, you have no chance. So, 
if, if that happened, we would, we would have fear of those guys. A fear that's slightly afraid, but at the same time, we, we want to, but we don't want to experience the greatness of that person. Right? And, and so we stand there in awe of those people because there's nothing that we can do to compare to them. At one point, God said to Moses in Exodus 33, he said this, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That's, that's what LeBron James would be thinking, looking at your little body, right? You know you're not going to live. <laughs> I'm going to take you down. So, but Moses begged God. He said, but please, just God, let, let me see your goodness pass by me. So God passed by him a little bit. But he didn't see his face. So David says to us, in that first verse that we talked about, we need to be taught the fear of the Lord. Why do we need to be taught the fear of the Lord? Why do we, why do we need to be taught how to stand in awe of God? The answer is in what David said in Psalm chapter 36. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Transgression, or sin, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity or sin cannot be found out and hated. So did you catch that? Why do we need to be taught the fear of the Lord? Why do we need to be taught how to stand in awe of God? Because those who don't fear God flatter themselves. We need to be taught the fear of God. We need to be taught how to stand in awe of God because what comes naturally to us is to stand in awe of ourselves. Right? We, we like to stand in awe of our accomplishments. We like to stand in awe of the words that we say. We, we like to do that. And we, we like to show that off. The same chapter goes on to say that this person who does not fear God, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots or figures out trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that's not good. He does not reject evil. So the person who doesn't fear God has problems with his words. The person who doesn't fear God stops acting wisely. They try to figure out how to do the wrong thing and get away with it. And ultimately it says that he has set himself up on a trajectory that's not good. And in addition to that, he doesn't reject evil. He probably welcomes evil the person who doesn't fear God. But ultimately, I think we do, and this verse says that we enjoy standing in awe of ourselves. We flatter ourselves. We want people to flatter us too, right? So we not only want to flatter ourselves and stand in awe of ourselves, but we want other people to stand in awe of us as well. Um, I know it's kind of an easy thing to pick on, and I'm guilty as the next person, but think Facebook. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing now. It's a psychological condition that experts are saying, and it's called Facebook depression. Okay? I'm not kidding you. So this is where we stand in so much awe and wonder at these wonderful lives of people we see online, and it causes us to be depressed because my life isn't their life. 
It's a real thing. And I think there's people that do it on purpose. I really do. I think there's people that put their perf- every perfect little, th- they don't put the bad stuff. We're going to put every perfect little thing, every perfect little way our kitchen looks, every perfect pose on our vacation so that other people will stand in awe of them and know that they can't measure up. We like to stand in awe of ourselves. It doesn't come naturally for us to stand in awe of God. And I don't think God wants us to live in awe of ourselves or other people. I think he wants us to stand in awe of him and be amazed by him and be amazed by Jesus and his life and his face and his words and his actions and not our own and not other people's. Psalm 17, 15 is a great verse that says, But I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. That's talking about our response to God. That we'll be satisfied with his face. The book that points us to his face. And, and, and I like that it says, in, When I awake, I'll be satisfied with your presence. And I'm guilty so much, I wake up and the first thing I do, I'm, not, I'm just, full disclosure, grab my phone because I want to look at other people's faces or I want to put something about my face on there so people can be like, wow, I like that. But this says, when I awake, I want to be satisfied with God's presence, with God's face. We need to be taught to stand in awe of God because it's easy for us to stand in awe of ourselves. So David says we need to be taught the fear of the Lord, but we're also commanded to do it. Uh, We'll start in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 21. So this is at a point where Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. He's received the Ten Commandments, and then he realizes the Israelites have built and are worshiping a golden calf, and then he comes down the mountain, he gets mad at the golden calf, and he, he takes the tablets and he breaks them, and he's like, oh no. And God's like, got to make some more. So he makes some more, and then he tells the people this, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 21. I've shortened it a little bit, but listen to what it says. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day." For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. God's not the big guy upstairs. He's a great and terrifying God. And the Israelites have seen God uh, bring all those plagues on Egypt, but have those plagues skip them. 
He's seen God. They have seen God part the Red Sea and wipe out the Egyptian army. They've seen God get water out of a rock. And now Moses says, you will fear the Lord your God. When we see God do great and sometimes terrifying things, as the people who saw Ananias and Sapphira die, it causes us to fear him. Next, Joshua 24, 14. Uh, Joshua was the guy who replaced Moses as the leader of Israel, and he said to the people, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So the fear of the Lord should, should have resulted. It did for a time, and then it didn't, and then it did. It should have resulted in the people serving him and getting rid of any other gods. And that's what it should do for us as well. Because we fear him, we should serve him. And because we fear him, we should get rid of all other gods. The prophet Samuel told Israel in 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Kind of like Moses told the Israelites. When we consider, when we think about the great things God has done for us, it causes us to fear him. It kind of rekindles that fear of him when we think about all the great things God has done. Solomon, the wisest person on the planet next to Jesus, said in Ecclesiastes 12:13, "The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God." Then in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2:17, Peter is very clear and tells all believers four things. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, that's the church. Fear God and honor the emperor. Fear God, that's one of the four things that the Apostle Peter, who we've been reading about in, in Acts, said to the church, fear God. And then in Revelation 14, 7, the Apostle John saw in his vision of the end times an angel who said with a loud voice, it says, so all the nations could hear, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So our fear of the Lord should cause us to give him glory and to worship him because we know that judgment is coming. Jesus is going to come back as a judge. So all throughout scripture, God commands his people to fear him. Those were just a few. And if God commands us to fear him and stand in awe of him, I want to ask you, when was the last time you stood in awe of God? Where you were almost just speechless at what he's done. Maybe it was a time you saw something in creation that he spoke into being. Uh, so I want to share with you a couple times that I have. We've got a few pictures. Um, many times, this has happened on mission trips for me, because on mission trips I go places I wouldn't normally go. So <laughs> um, the first place when I was a youth pastor in Iowa, uh, I took some middle schoolers to South Dakota, uh, which you drive through Iowa, it's corn. You can drive through Iowa. It's like corn for four hours. Like, no joke, okay? And then you get to South Dakota, and it's like fields, and you can see for miles and miles and miles, like the song says. So, then you get to the Badlands in South Dakota. Okay, I didn't even know this existed. So, we stopped at the Badlands National Park, 
And what that is, like 240,000 acres of canyons and these rock formations that are all like multicolored, layered rocks, okay? Is there a picture? Do we have the picture? Maybe? There it is. Okay. So it's like you, ju- you just happen upon this. And so we stand at the end, and it's not the Grand Canyon, but it's pretty awesome. So we just, we stood there, and I stood there just like, ah, I've never seen this. this we just drove through corn and fields for eight hours. And look at this. So we were, you're able to climb down in there and climb on those things, and it's amazing. And there's just not, you don't have any words. You're just like, wow. Then I've been on two mission trips uh, to Costa Rica with New Life. Uh, the first one we went um, a number of years ago, and we, we went, we climbed up a volcano. So you get to the top, and you're about a few hundred yards away from this mouth of a volcano. Yeah, just like that. And, and, and it's like this steaming lake. And you just stand there. I stood there, and I'm like, this thing could blow. And actually, it did this past April. Um, but you just stand there and think the power of this thing, it's enormous. It's enormous. That looks like a swimming pool, but it's like 40 swimming pool. I don't know. It's huge. So you stand there thinking about what, what would happen? Like we, we, we couldn't get back down the mountain fast enough. So then last year we went to Costa Rica again and we were in the same area and we were kind of climbing down a mountain and there were four or five waterfalls all connected. As you go down the mountain, you come to one and you stop and you look and then you come to another one and Stop and look, you go down more. And you just, I stood there whenever we got to the, the bottom of one of the waterfalls, and you just stand there and, and you feel the rumble of it hitting the, the, the rocks and the water below, and there's just not much you can say. Okay, it's not the Niagara Falls. I've been to Niagara Falls too, and you stand there like, here's the waterfall, Niagara Falls, and you can't even hear yourself think, and you're just like, wow. So I I stood there at these places thinking about the the power of these places but then thinking about the power of the God who made these places and thinking about or, or comparing like my power to God's. Like I'm happy if I can add five pounds to my bench press at the gym, okay? But thinking about that compared to God being able to make those things, it's minuscule. And we think we're so powerful, don't we? But when we encounter creation like that, I, it's like I, I could only think of, uh, describe it as like childlike wonder. Like I'm a kid and like, oh, wow. You know? When was the last time you stood in awe of God? Maybe you've stood on God in the ways that he has provided for you. Maybe there's been something that he's given you that you've been praying for that you couldn't get on your own or you needed. And you're just like, wow, how'd that happen? And you know it's God, but still you're like, oh, God is just crazy awesome. Or maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, you've maybe seen something terrifying. But it caused you to be in awe of God and not pushed you away from him. Or maybe something as simple as you're reading your Bible and for the first time you understand it or you just saw something new or different and you're just like, yeah, that's what that means. I get that now. And you just, you're in awe of what God said. 
Maybe when your children were born, like me, you were just speechless. What do you say? I bet we could have story after story come up here of how God has amazed us. Psalm 66.16 says, Come and hear all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So the fear of the Lord affects our soul. It changes us. So in those moments when God does those things, when we're left fearing him for a moment, we're standing at the edge of the volcano, when, or maybe, maybe we're left in awe of God for a few days because of something he's provided for us. What then? What does the fear of the Lord lead us to? Because honestly, the fear of the Lord kind of fades away. And then there'll be some moments where it'll come back. But what do you do in between? 2 Chronicles 19.7 says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. For there's no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality or taking bribes. The fear of the Lord causes us to be careful what we do. I bet those who saw Ananias and Sapphira, they probably thought twice before they lied to anyone. Right? Like, they probably didn't lie again. Well, no, they probably did. But they probably thought twice before they lied to anybody. Especially, like, in church. Um... Where do you need to be more careful? We tell little kids, right? Little kids. We say, God's always watching. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. I already say that one. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little nose, what you smell. No, we don't say that one. But you get the picture. We need to take our own advice. We think maybe sometimes we graduate from that little song. But we don't. The fear of the Lord causes us to be careful what we do. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we realize who God is, and that he's God, and you're not, you're standing at the edge of Niagara Falls, and you're like, I don't have that kind of power. Anywhere close. When we realize his words aren't our words, his thoughts aren't our thoughts, his ways aren't our ways, the right response to that should be these few things. That we begin to be instructed in wisdom, and we need to begin to act on the wisdom. On one hand, the fear of the Lord leads us to learn about wisdom, and on the other hand, the fear of the Lord leads us to do the wisdom that we get. A great example is uh, the king of Israel named Uzziah. In 2 Chronicles 26.5, it says that at 16 years old, king, at 16 years old, he set himself to seek God. He set himself to seek God in the days of the prophet Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So have you set yourself to seek God? Whether you're 16 or 60, and maybe, maybe some people have the idea that I, I come to church on Sunday and I get my, my fill up of God for the week. That's not setting ourselves up to seek God. What about when I awake? I will seek your presence or your face. I'll be satisfied with your presence. When I awake, when do you awake? Every day. 
when you awake, setting myself to seek God every day. Maybe you need to ask someone, like Uzziah probably asked Zechariah. It says that Zechariah instructed him on the fear of God. Maybe you need to seek out somebody who has a little more wisdom and fear of God than you do and say, help me out, teach me. I want to be taught. If we're talking about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and instruction in wisdom, we have to talk about 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, it says this. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us something. He became, Jesus became to us something. He became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus Christ became to us the wisdom of God. All the wisdom of God wrapped up in a human being. And he lived it out perfectly. He spoke it out perfectly. He taught it perfectly. And I would think that God would say that if you don't know and have Jesus in your life, you don't know or have God's wisdom in your life. Because Jesus is the ultimate wisdom of God that we need to know. Proverbs 8.13, uh, in Proverbs 8.13, wisdom, it's personified, and wisdom speaks. And wisdom says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. When we fear the Lord, it leads to us hating evil. Do you hate evil? This past month, um, and if this is sensitive to anybody, I'm sorry, but the evil that I've seen of heroin. I went to a a funeral of a mom of a little friend of, of my son's who found her dead from heroin. Um, that's, I hate that. That's evil I, that I hate, that I've seen in the past month. It says that God hates pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. First, the first thing God hates, it says, is haughty eyes. Now, this is not H-O-T-T-I-E, eyes. This is H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, eyes. These are eyes that are stuck up with your nose, right? And you look down on everyone and everything because you are, as they say, it on a stick, right? You are, there's nothing that compares to you. So that's the first thing it says he hates in Proverbs 6. The second thing is a lying tongue. God hates lying. Are you lying to anyone at the moment? Maybe there's kids. You're lying to your parents. Parents, you're lying to your kids. Husband, wife, are you lying to your spouse? Are you lying to an employer right now? God hates that. The third thing God hates is hands that shed innocent blood. God hates murder. The fourth thing is a heart that devises wicked plans. Maybe there's some of you sitting here thinking that I'm I'm here at church, I'm doing my spiritual duty, but when I get done, I'm going to go do something God would hate. But the next thing, the next thing he says is he hates feet 
that make haste or are quick to run into evil. So you make the plan to do something God hates, and at the first, so- that the first moment you get to do it, you run and go do it. God hates that. Sixth, God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. So we already mentioned he said lying. He hates lying, but this is lying about other people. To other people. So not just lying for yourself, but but lying about other people. And the next thing, he says, finally, finally, God hates someone who sows discord among brothers. So usually this happens because someone lies about somebody else, right? And then friendships are, relationships are broken up because people weave their way in and try to figure out how to break those people up because I don't like that one. God hates that. We all know Job, right? In Job 1.1, it describes him. It says, there was a man from the land of Uz. How would you like to be from the land of Uz? Whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's a great inscription for like a headstone. He feared God and turned away from evil. Does that describe you? Do you fear God? The fear of God, when we see God, we, we will turn away from evil. Proverbs 16.6 says that it is by the fear of the Lord that one turns away from evil. And Proverbs 23.17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Don't envy sinners. The final thing I want to point out that the fear of the Lord leads to is life. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. And finally, Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So these Proverbs and these, these verses are not a formula to have a perfect, happy, no problem life till you, you live to 120 It's not what it's saying. But think of the other proverb that says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. God wants us to begin to follow his way. And in fact, if you read the New Testament, the church was called the way. The way of Christ. They followed the way of God. And if we know that Jesus is that ultimate wisdom and the fear of the Lord leads us to wisdom, the fear of the Lord is going to lead us to Jesus. And Jesus is going to lead us to life eternal life. And Jesus said in John 17, 3, that eternal life is this, that you know God and you know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's the life that the fear of the Lord leads to. So honestly, we could talk about the fear of the Lord like all day. It was hard to like narrow down the verses because there's so many. Um, But I, I I would encourage you to study it more. It's great. It's a great study. Um, so what do we do, though? What do we do now? If, if David says, learn the fear of the Lord, I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. If you feel like, I don't know, maybe you have a better understanding of the fear of the Lord, that I need to stand in awe of God, I need to even be a little bit afraid. Then what do we do? First, I would say, like King Uzziah at 16, you need to set yourselves to seek God. Maybe take that verse that says, when I awake, I'll be satisfied with his face and his presence. 
Maybe that's what we do. Maybe that's a new thing. So when I awake, I'm going to, maybe it's just, it's going to take you away. You get awake and you say God, and you just say God's name, and you, okay, God, I got to focus on God. And instead of, maybe you, you put your phone under a Bible. I don't know. <laughs> my phone's my alarm. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's that, but you, how do I get to the point when I awake, I can be satisfied with God's face and not my own and not somebody else's? Second, maybe, like, again, like Uzziah, get someone to help you fear the, fear the Lord. Maybe you need somebody to help you. Say, you know what? I, I need to fear the Lord more. I need to seek God more. Um, help me figure out how to do that. It takes humility to do that. Third, we need to begin to learn God's wisdom through his word. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we need to know God's word. I think there's a huge lack of knowledge of God's word these days. Um, fourth, we need to begin, begin to identify and hate evil. So that'll come as you learn God's word. The more you know, God, know God's word, the more you're going to be in tune with what's good and what's evil. And what's evil, we turn away from. Sounds simple. It's not, but... Fifth, we need to believe that Jesus is God's wisdom. And the sixth thing, which is kind of in, in, tied in with that, is we need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. So an interesting verse about the fear of the Lord is in Luke 23, where Jesus is on the cross between the two thieves. And it says this, One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at Jesus. Okay, that's like strong for like, he was, he was getting on Jesus. He was yelling at him. He was railing at him. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Come on, Messiah. The son of God. <laughs> Look at you. But the other rebuked him. The other thief on the other side rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we are indeed justly condemned, for we are receiving the reward for our deeds, the due reward for our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That guy came to a point where he realized who Jesus was. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we need to realize Jesus is the wisdom of God and then hear the voice of the second thief who says, do you not fear God? This man's never done anything wrong. He's perfect. And we need to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and put your faith in him. And the final thing for those of us who do believe, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, now that we know the fear of the Lord, what do we do? Paul says, we persuade others. Those of us who know the fear of the Lord and his power, we persuade others to believe in Jesus Christ. We persuade them. That's a great word. So we need to be taught the fear of the Lord. We need to set ourselves to seek God. We need to get help in doing that. We need to know God's word. We need to realize who Jesus really is. And that one day, as that angel said, his judgment is coming. So fear him and glorify him and worship him.
So, um, you know, what I would ask is, you know, tonight, if, you know, with the prayer partners, you know, if, if, if you need to, maybe one of those last five, six, seven things I mentioned, maybe there was one that stood out to you. I need to learn God's word more. I need to, maybe it's, when I wake up, I need to focus on something other than my phone or whatever. Maybe it's, I need to put my faith in Jesus tonight. So go, maybe go up to them and, and, and confess that and ask them to pray with you, and they'd love to do that. So for those of us um, also, like that last verse, those of us who are believers, um, I think we need to get serious about persuading others. The, the book of Acts is, um, has really got to me. In the middle school, in, on Sunday mornings, we've gone through all 28 chapters. And it's, you know, some of them are like, oh, Acts again, uh. <laughs> But man, the whole book is just going telling people about Jesus, persuading them. I've been persuaded that I need to persuade other people to believe in Jesus. So we got to do that. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are who you are. And God, I just thank you that... Um, You've given us great things in your creation uh, to see and to just be in wonder at you. And Lord, I thank you that um, also you have given us uh, things like this, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where we can fear your power and fear your hatred of sin and know that you're going to judge us one day. But Lord, I ultimately thank you that you've sent Jesus as your wisdom to us, I thank you that um, through faith in him, we can, uh, as Romans says, no longer be condemned. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to fear you and, and grow in wisdom. Help us to um, grow in, in understanding that uh, our power is nothing compared to yours. And Lord, I pray you'll show us great and terrifying things so that we can fear you even more. And Lord, I just pray that um, tonight as we go out of here, we'll think about the things that you've done for us and rekindle that fear that we've probably had of you uh, so that we can worship you and glorify you as you want us to do. And I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.